White Winter, Chapter 4 Be forewarned, if you thought that Oren's story was a bit off the rails, then this one's really gonna get to you. This all happened back when we were living up in Rose Court, the little end street that had always been quiet, but for the tweeting of birds, the laughter of kids, and the yapping of angry little dogs. It was a picturesque view of suburban paradise. If only things within the four walls of our home were equally as idyllic. I was seven and Kaylee was only five. When she had first arrived onto the scene, I initially hated my wee sister. I have to admit, I hated the way she took my toys. I hated the way she absorbed the lion's share of the attention from my parents. I hated the way she slept in my room. I hated the way that she tried to hang out with my friends, wedging herself into the middle of our group during playtime. In short, I felt like she was taking up space meant for me and pushing me out in the process. But it was around that age where things started to turn around and I began to see her as my main ally. When there was infighting among my friends, Kaylee unconditionally joined my side. When she hurt herself, I was the person whom she cried out for first, instead of mum or dad. When I wanted to express my thoughts, I went to Kaylee first because she actually listened and took my words seriously. When I wanted to feel important, I imparted onto her all the worldly advice I had accumulated in my seven years on earth. My parents were only secondary to this little girl who was so near in age to me that she was almost like a shortened clone. She would always be with me. Her life experiences were simply a lagging mirror of my own. When you feel it with sisters, you just know that here is someone who will stand with you against the world. And as you all know, that has never changed. I love my wee sister. I love her more than I have loved anyone or anything else in my entire life. So, before I get on to that Christmas, I'll need to rewind to a little bit before that. Firstly, I will say that things were good for Halloween. I dressed up as a bee and Kaylee went as a wasp. Cute, right? We all attended the parades, the fireworks, and the spooky shows together. For the first time ever, we did regular family stuff. It was so nice. Even Kaylee kept commenting in the preceding days on how much fun she'd had, begging to go out dressed up again and eat lots of sweets. We had to explain that Halloween didn't really run into November, but she didn't quite get it. Anyway, when we were in November, well, you know how it is. There's no such thing as rest in the world of marketing. In the absence of Halloween stuff stocking the shelves, the shops weren't going to leave them bare. The Christmas stuff was pushed out right away. Mum was doing well. She'd been successfully off the drinks for two months at that stage. She was exceedingly happy that she'd managed to do both her 37th birthday and Halloween completely dry. That's more than double my longest stint since I was 15, she was fond of saying. Well, we're all really proud of you, my dad was fond of saying back. Something had lifted from her. Even a little kid like me, almost incapable of nuance, could see that. Have you ever seen The Green Mile? Where John Coffey cures the woman of her terminal brain tumour and she's almost immediately different. Like, there's even different lighting used around her and everything. Well, it wasn't that fast in reality, but with the aid of the compressive illusion of memory... It really feels like it was when looking back. After an initial period of being even more irritated and more emotional, it was maybe around the third week of sobriety that she suddenly became less irritated and less emotional. 
There was less road rage, less yelling at the birds for singing, less yelling at children for playing, and less yelling at the sky for having the audacity to rain. It was like, on day 20, she was a monster. Then, on the morning of day 21, she awoke as a new woman. The fog had lifted from her. Her skin was clearer, her teeth were whiter, a glow had appeared in her cheeks, her hair was lush and vibrant, and she even brushed it. Unfortunately, though, not everything was rosy in Rose Court. Kaylee and I began to notice strange occurrences around the house. I was afraid of the dark, terrified in fact. I had a pony-shaped nightlight stationed on the nightstand just next to our bunk bed, Mr. Rainbow. One night, Mr. Rainbow started to flicker on and off, on and off. No big deal, right? Just a faulty light. It happens all the time, doesn't it? But after I told my dad and he replaced the bulb, it started to happen again. A short while later, when he replaced Mr. Rainbow with Mr. Snuggles, all was fine, until the same thing happened with that one too. Off. On. Off. On. Keely, I asked. Yeah, she whispered. Do you see that? Yeah. It started to happen with other lights across the house too, where they'd randomly switch off right at the second we entered the room. It was so calculated, as if to specifically happen when my parents were elsewhere within the house, and unable to bear witness. Once, the toaster popped without anyone having put it on. I was in the kitchen, quietly rifling through the biscuit cupboard in search of some chocolatey goodness, when I nearly jumped out of my skin. I wasn't there for this one, so can't fully vouch for it, but Kaylee told me something similar happened with her and the kettle. It also happened with the washing machine and the tumble dryer, both of them turning on without anyone having pressed anything. Once, the smoke alarm blared and Dad rushed out to the kitchen, only to find one of the empty pans which had sat on the hob completely burnt. After asking my mum and confirming that she hadn't done it, my dad confronted us and informed us that we were not to be messing around with the oven under any circumstances. How many times have I warned you that it's dangerous? You're allowed to help with the cooking when we're there to supervise, but absolutely never when you're on your own. We didn't touch it, I insisted. He gazed at Kaylee, the sister he viewed as more innocent and thus more truthful, but she shook her head and reiterated, It wasn't us, Daddy. My dad, now pegging us as co-conspirators, glanced between us. One of you are lying to me, and because I can't tell who it is, I'm going to have to punish both of you if it happens again. So just keep in mind that the next time you want to break the rules, you'll be sinking your sister too. That means no TV and no toys. I was upset that night, because I began to believe that it really might be Kaylee, messing with me. After all, the nightstand was within reach of the bottom bunk, and I reasoned that she was both growing and changing rapidly. Maybe she had suddenly discovered lying, and had simultaneously become an expert. But when I confronted her in the back garden... As she swung on the swing, tears welled up in her eyes. It wasn't me, Sophie. It wasn't me. Then who was it? I demanded. It was the blurry man. The blurry man? I asked, hearing it for the first time and wondering what it was. But my little sister had hopped off the swing and was already going down the slide. I chased her, but it soon became a game and I was distracted by the actual task rather than the end goal. It was only at night 
when it grew dark and the fear found me that I remembered. I lay in the top bunk as she lay in the bottom bunk and I asked her if she was still awake. Yeah, who's the blurry man? She went all quiet before eventually saying, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You have to tell me. No, I don't. I fought on it for a while, trying to figure out how I could trick her into spilling the beans, but before I knew it, she'd fallen asleep. The next day, I felt compelled to confront my dad. It was as if, ever since he'd accused us of turning on the oven, I felt that I had an open court case and had to mount my own defence. I explained to him what Kaylee had told me, that it was a simple misunderstanding and that it was the blurry man this whole time. I thought he would have one of two reactions to this. Either he would rush out to confront the blurry man, or he'd decide I was telling another fib. Instead, he went a third way, catching me off guard as he smiled broadly. What? I asked, confused. Kaylee is just going through a phase, Sophie. She has an imaginary friend. Imaginary friend? I asked. Don't you remember Duncan? The name felt to me like my dad had just uncovered the remains of a prehistoric creature or had led me into some ancient Egyptian tomb full of artifacts. There was a certain energy to it. It's funny how a couple of years can feel like an ocean of time when you're little. I guess that's relativity for you, huh? I hadn't even thought about Duncan in so long and now it was all rushing back to me. All the tea parties, all the games of hide and seek, all the secrets. I think this is different, I said. This isn't like Duncan. The friend part of imaginary friend was a key part of my dynamic with Duncan, which I felt was absent in Kaylee's relationship with the blurry man. Also, as far as I knew, Duncan had never turned on the washing machine. Mm-hmm, Dad said, but I could tell that he was no longer listening. I realised, though, that now that Mum was different, now that that cloud had lifted from her, I could actually go to her about things too. So I did exactly that. I went to her and I told her everything. She patiently sipped on her elderflower cordial throughout my spiel, then said, Don't worry about it, honey. Five-year-olds might be small, but they have big, big imaginations. I know, but I'm scared, I confessed, feeling like such a pathetic little child. Mum looked at me. The whites of her eyes were once dull, but now they were like a shirt from a detergent advert, nearly sparkling. Your dad and I will never allow anything bad to happen to you and your sister. Do you hear me? As long as we're here, the blurry man doesn't stand a chance. Okay, I said, feeling slightly appeased at that. November rolled into December, and the Christmas decorations went up around the house, including the tinsel, the lights, the Yule log, the figurines, the candle, the stickers, and of course, the Christmas tree. The marketing had ramped up another gear, somehow finding a way to become even more obnoxious. The shops were full of music, and every radio station was constantly playing Michael Bublé or Mariah Carey. A song was playing in one of the clothing outlets we were shopping in. I didn't know the name of the song back then, but I now recognise it as being Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues. Mum had been trying to find a nice knitted jumper for Dad to keep him warm in the cold weather. Now that she wasn't buying wine every day and gin every Saturday, she apparently had a lot more money to go around, or so she said. But during that song, she had a quiet cry to herself for some reason that was unknown to me. Kaylee didn't even notice. 
she was too absorbed by a set of Toy Story PJs, which was her present obsession. But I did notice, and desperately wanted to ask her what was the matter, or to offer my mum a hug of support. But sadly, I never quite found the courage to do either of those things. That was okay though, because she began to open up to me about it, finally identifying me, her eldest daughter, as her primary confidant. At home one evening, she said to me, I've always had a drink to celebrate Christmas time, you know? Oh, I said, even when I was wee, my daddy used to give me a sip of wine during Christmas dinner. Your daddy would never allow something like that for you though. Hmm, I said, and it's just not the same without a couple, is it? I didn't really notice a difference, to be honest. I mainly enjoyed Christmas for the sweets and the presents, but I knew that that wasn't the answer that my mum wanted, so I watched TV instead. Seinfeld was on. I've been off it for over three whole months. Heck, I've been off it for three figures. 102 days to be exact. I think that's more than enough to show that I'm different now. That I can take it or leave it. If I can do that, then it should be only a little extra willpower to moderate. I wish I could go back and tell her to have some lime cordial or some slur instead. And to pretend that she was having an adult drink. To enjoy the sweet refreshing bubbles and tell her brain that it was luxurious champagne but I was just a kid and to be honest her logic at the time made perfect sense to me you didn't give up sweeties entirely that would be outrageous no you just ate them for a small dessert after a nutritious dinner or you only had them on a Friday instead of every day that would ensure you didn't get diabetes and your teeth wouldn't rot out of your head mum was different now She ripped that compulsive, uncontrollable monkey off her back. I reasoned that if willpower was a muscle, that if every hour of abstinence was another rep, then my mum was Hulk Hogan. I told myself that she now had the strength, but if I knew what I knew now, I'd tell her differently. I would warn her that people who have endured the deep throes of addiction have created neural reward pathways, craving spirals that can never be forgotten, never be unmade, In the same way, it's next to impossible to forget how to swim or ride a bike. People might call it muscle memory, but all that magic happened in the brain. I would tell her that every drink would just create a new craving instead of bringing about lasting satisfaction, a new mini-withdrawal to be mitigated by the subsequent drink, thus knocking the proverbial can down the road until there was no road left, until her road ended. I would tell her that no, she could not moderate. That was a lie a fantasy and there was only one drink she had the power to say no to and that was the first one yeah I think if I had a time machine I'd tell her all of that but I don't so now I can only see my memories through a glass window they are there clear but unchangeable what I actually did was nod agreeing with her because it was my mum and it seemed like something that she not only wanted in order to be happy but needed in order to be whole. Dad was at work a lot, on the night shifts. He had an abundance of overtime in December due to the extra demand, but he always saw that as a good thing because it was his own special way of paying for the presents and the fancy food, of providing the magical Christmas that he wanted for his wife and daughters. Kaylee was up in bed already, sleeping. I should have been sleeping too, but Mum brought me downstairs to watch girly movies. We watched my best friend's wedding and you've got mail. Tom Hanks is so handsome, isn't he? Mum said. Hmm, 
I said, unsure if I agreed with that, because I hadn't really found any man attractive, not until Robert Pattinson sparkled into my life. She poured herself out a glass of wine. I was totally entranced by the rising, chaotic bubbles of that golden liquid. It was hypnotic. This is our little secret, right Sophie? When she gave me a bowl of gummy bears mixed with jelly beans, I grinned and agreed. We were in this together now. I had taken the taste, as the cop shows say. Even as I gorged myself on sweeties, I felt very adult to have this shared secret with my mother. After the glass was finished, she inspected it, and that was when I began to worry. Part of me recognised the danger of that dormant demon potentially emerging out of her again, but she simply smiled. You know what? I only need the one. I am completely and utterly satisfied. What about you? Would you like more sweeties? No thanks, I said, hoping that my restraint, my show of self-control, could help reinforce her own. She continued to wake me up to watch a movie while she had her nightly glass of wine. It was always when Dad was away at work. She was amazed at her newfound ability to stop at one and seemed to think it to be some sort of superpower. Once she did give me a sip of her wine, and I spat it out almost immediately, not quite getting it. I marvelled at the fact that she could even finish one glass of that repugnant, fizzy vinegar, never mind having to restrain herself. She chuckled knowingly. You just have to acquire the taste, my dear. We even woke Kaylee up a few times to join in on our movie parties, deciding that she was now old enough to keep secrets. Soon, one glass became two but my mum was quick to assure me that this wasn't a bad thing, due to the fact that some diets, such as the Mediterranean, allowed for one or two glasses of wine per day. And their diet is linked to longevity. The key with them is moderation. I didn't know if that was true or not, so I took her word on it. I soon noticed, though, that she was constantly declaring new rules and drawing new lines in the sand. You only have a problem once you're finishing a whole bottle a night. Soon became... It's when you open that second bottle in the same night that things get dicey. The distinctions were as subtle as they were nefarious. Soon, she would wake me up for a movie, but I could tell by then that she was already bleary-eyed and out of it, as if she already had a head start on what was supposed to be her very first glass. She started to get angry and snappish in the mornings, I think because she couldn't ever find justifications for having wine in the AM hours. That was one of her new lines. It doesn't matter how much you drink in the evening, so long as you're not drinking before 6pm, became. It's okay to have a liquid lunch on the weekends though, of course, especially if it's sociable. She became groggy again. She became irritable again. She became a bad listener again. The house became messy again. Often, she would fall asleep on the sofa or she'd cry while drinking her fill. Soon she started to smell again with that rancid breath permeating her tongue and that foul odour clinging to her clothes. Her hair grew dirtier and grazier as she bathed less and less and got dressed later and later into the day. I knew by her ragged nails that she was back to biting them. She stopped taking joy in the small pleasures. She stopped eating dessert, stopped reading books and stopped watching her favourite gritty dramas. What could a book hold that was more interesting than what lay at the bottom of a bottle? When Dad was gone, we fended for ourselves. I made chunky peanut butter and banana bagels every night. Kaylee liked to drizzle honey onto hers. After that, came more odd activity. Once, 
when Kaylee and I were alone in our room, the radio randomly switched on. Emitted from it arrived static. Beneath that static, I heard a voice. I can't even repeat to you everything that it was saying, because it was saying the most horrible, vulgar things, things that it planned to do to Kaylee, my parents and I, but it made it quite clear, in so many words, that it wanted to see us dead. 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 It repeated, following that up with its horrible, crackling laugh. The radio was on the nightstand, within my sister's reach, so I yelled loudly for her to turn it off. Just turn it off, Kaylee. But she didn't budge so much as an inch. She just lay on her bed and said, That's his voice, Sophie. That's the blurry man. My skin crawled all over. I tried to inform my mom about the incident the next night, but she barely seemed to hear or even register what I was saying to her anymore. She was a tarp in the rain, and everything simply washed off of her. Once, there was an incident where I had been up with her, watching Clueless, when eventually my mum fell asleep and the TV instantly turned black. It remained like that for a while, reflecting my face and reflecting my mum in the background. Then I saw a man, further behind her, walking over to her and stroking her hair with a hand that was far too long. Get away from her! I hissed. He grinned maniacally, revealing two rows of enlarged, square teeth to complement his pinpoint eyes. I glanced over my shoulder, only to see that he wasn't there. He only existed within that box, so I yanked out the plug of the TV. But it made no difference. The TV remained on, and the man, who was all blurry, just stood there watching me while stroking my mum's head. You know... I've once heard an interesting theory regarding the phenomenon that people refer to as ghosts, that all they really are, in actual fact, are electromagnetic disturbances which cause seemingly strange things to happen. I wonder if that was what the blurry man was. Was he something that could only use the electrical appliances around us to send out messages until he built up the strength? It fits with what happened next, because the activity became a lot more frequent after that. There was one night where the Christmas lights flickered on and off so much that it was like a disco. Even my barely lucid mother noticed it and remarked upon it, but she was far too groggy to actually react to it or remember it afterwards. She must have run out of wine because soon she was up and stumbling out to her car to go to the off license to get some more. I remember crying and begging her not to leave us because the blurry man might come and might get us when we were alone. She chuckled. I'll be right back. Then she patted my head. Don't worry, sweetie. I'll be right back. After she left, I went to fetch Kaylee because I was too afraid to be alone. I informed her that we had to wait downstairs until mum returned in the belief that we'd be safer there because if anything were to happen, then we could rush out of one of the doors if need be. It certainly felt a lot less isolating than being upstairs. We were watching cartoons when the unit began to fuzz, which was weird considering that we had a digital TV. Out in the kitchen, I heard the appliances, the washing machine, the oven, the kettle, and the toaster, all switching on and off. The lights were going crazy all over the house. I imagine, to the neighbours, it must have seemed like some kind of lunatic light show. Kaylee was crying, so I brought her into the corner, by the Christmas tree, and held her tight. 
We were there for a while before I finally felt something fall onto my shoulders. I had barely even managed to turn my head around an inch before it coiled around my throat. It tightened, biting into me, choking me, and thus making it almost impossible to breathe. Of course, with all the other stuff going crazy, I'd totally forgotten about the Christmas lights around the tree. Those had been switched off, as if to intentionally lure us into a darkened corner, where we believed ourselves to be safe. Kaylee must have heard my strangled pleas and felt my fingers digging into her shoulders because she soon cried out, Sophie! Then she faced me and began assisting me in prying the cord free. I gulped down air as the tree edged into us, almost threatening to swallow us up, but she eventually pried enough wiggle room for me to breathe. Then I was able to pull my head out completely. I was crying hysterically as we waited for mum to arrive home. When she did though, she was deaf to our sobs and almost immediately fell asleep. Next, I waited for my dad, which was way into the wee hours of the night. When he arrived, he was visibly shocked to see us both still up. I told him what had happened with the tree. His face was grave. He saw the marks around my neck and knew there'd been some sort of accident. I'd never seen him so angry or so wild. He hugged me and questioned me firmly forcing me to go into greater detail regarding all that had transpired. Okay, was all he said at the end. He tucked both Kaylee and I in, kissed our heads, and informed us that he loved us. After that, I heard him yelling at mum, all while a quiet, static-imbued laugh echoed out of the radio. I don't think he knew the whole truth. I don't think he knew she'd left us home alone. I don't think he knew she'd driven so heavily under the influence. And even if he did know that much, he probably convinced himself that it was only a single relapse, that things had been going so well before, and this was just another part of almost every recovery journey. Someone regained control, and after dealing with the initial harsh withdrawals, they entered what was known as the Pink Cloud, a euphoric period where positive changes were consistently being accumulated and experienced. When this period passed and their renewed state became more normalised, they soon forgot what a destructive force their addiction had been in their life. They remembered only the good occasions, as seen through a nostalgic filter, the laughs, the good moments with friends, so they returned to their precious substance, trying to recapture those fleeting times from their early days of drinking only to repeat the exact same harmful patterns, as if they'd never taken a break. To my dad, mum had gone overboard just this once and had fallen asleep, and that just happened to coincide with a horrible, freak accident where I'd gotten myself tangled up in the Christmas lights, like an idiot. It seems like a stupid tale for my dad, a normally intelligent man to believe, But it's crazy the sort of mental gymnastics that we'll perform in order to forgive the people we love. I explicitly heard her begging for one more chance. Just one more chance, Jerry, please. I can turn it around. He told her that he'd give her one more chance. But I swear to God, Fee, I don't care if it's wine at Sunday Mass. I don't care if it's an accidental swallow of mouthwash. If you have one more fucking drink, I mean one, then I'm taking the kids to stay with my parents. Of course, of course, she said, sobbing. I'll never drink again, not another drop, I promise. The blurry man was quiet for the next few days, 
But sadly, that didn't fill me with relief. Instead, I felt a curdling dread. I kept wondering if he was charging up for something extra special, and if this was simply the calm before the storm. And yeah, it turns out I was right in that end. You know, the funny thing about electricity is, it's in everything. It's even in us. It's responsible for our movements, our vital functions, even our very thoughts. I wondered at that, because I recall that both Kaylee and I had been having the most intense nightmares in those run of days, seeing our entire family butchered around us. We would then wake up at the exact same time, sweating and screaming. Then we'd describe to each other the exact same images. They were so real, so horrible. I wondered if they were like broadcasts, ideas put into our heads by the blurry man. And I wondered at that when I once saw my mum, passed out on the sofa, wrenching, whining and pleading as she endured a flurry of fitful nightmares. Just leave us alone, leave us alone, she would repeat over and over again. Then came the night that broke her. Everything in the house, all the electrics were going crazy again as I lay in my bed. Today, I could even hear the car revving as its engine roared. I worried that the blurry man might take control of it and crash it through the wall. Could he possibly do such a thing? Dad was out at work, of course. The blurry man only ever played up when Mommy was drunk and Daddy was away. The radio kept telling us, Your mummy is dead. Your mummy is gone. Your mummy is dead. I sprang up and asked Kaylee if she was awake. When I received no response, I tepidly made my way downstairs, creaking down one stair after another. I didn't need to be quiet. The house was filled with noise, courtesy of the washing machine, the kettle, and the dryer. Mum was not gone, as far as I could see. She was right there, on the sofa. I thought that she'd broken her promise, that she was back on the wine again, that she'd passed out on the sofa again. But when I came in and gazed at her face, I was horrified to see that her eyes were not closed, as I'd expected, but wide open. They had turned all milky. An anchor dropped through my stomach, because I thought that she might actually be dead. I thought that the blurry man might have somehow killed her, until her body hoisted up from the sofa, standing rigidly. Her head twisted as sharply as a doll's head, and those glassy eyes focused on me. Her mouth fell open like a canyon, and a gush emerged out of it. I heard the static of the TV behind me, as her voice arrived out of that, rather than her own mouth. Don't be scared, Sophie. Mummy is going to look after you. Don't be scared. I backed away. No, just come here. Come here, you ungrateful little cunt. And then, from down the side of the sofa, she retrieved a full bottle of red wine. I wondered if she was going to drink it, if the blurry man was going to make her break her promise to daddy. But instead, she smashed it against the corner of the coffee table, covering the floor beneath in a crimson liquid and sparkling green glass. Now come here and take your punishment. The TV screeched as the thing that was formerly my mother pointed the jagged end of the broken bottle at me. I veered around as fast as I could and ran upstairs. I jolted Kaylee awake and dragged her down the hall into the bathroom where there were several locks on the door. I bolted the external one and I twisted the internal one as mum reached it and pounded on the door. 
The car outside began blaring its alarm as the radio in our room turned itself up to maximum volume so that it could be heard clearly. Let me in! Let me in! It shouted. We just lay there, sobbing as the light flickered on and off and the electric shower sprayed out hot water, filling the room up with steam. Eventually, the pounding ceased. Eventually, my dad returned home. Keely and I listened from the bathroom, still unsure if it was safe, wondering if the creature might get our dad. I wish I could tell you that I rushed out and bravely cried out a warning to him, but I was frozen with fear, stuck to my sister. He could be heard wandering into the living room, where he must have seen the wine stains and the fragments of glass. Next came the shouting, the arguing. Dad yelled that Mum had broken her promise while Mum was weeping and insisting that she hadn't had a single drop. But Dad, true to his word, came upstairs, wrangled us up and drove us straight to our grandparents' house. We lived there for the next few months while they tried to sort things out, but that proved difficult as communication became less and less on my mum's side. She went on countless benders until finally she was struck by an intense throat pain. The way that she described it to her doctors was that every sip of every liquid felt to her like swallowing lava. It got so bad that she had to cease with her precious wine, which of course was her biggest loss. When she was given the diagnosis, what followed were months of regretful tears, apologies and physical degradation. Then came a swift end to it all. I never saw the blurry man again after that. I think maybe he weakened or simply faded away like a passing storm. Or maybe, and this is the thought that pains me almost more than anything, is that he was stuck in my mum, sending her bad thoughts that she could only drown out with more and more booze. But the thought that actually does cause me the most pain is the idea that that's where he came from in the first place, that he was always there, sculpting those addictive neural pathways like roadwork builders, and her efforts to quit or what gave him presence within our home. Maybe he died with her, or maybe he moved on to someone else.